Certified Life Podcast, where we show you that women are capable of absolutely incredible things with the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and today on the podcast, we have a return guest. Uh, As we go through COVID-19, absolutely everyone is affected, but there are particular nuances to managing the stress as an entrepreneur. So I wanted to bring one of my favorite mentors in business to the mic, Hannah Cree. Hannah has been, as I said, a previous guest back on episode 66, and now we're on like 150-something, where we talked about falling in love on the radio, her business, Common Good Linens, doing more social good and and so much more. I've since gotten to know Hannah as a mentor, and she shares in this episode how drastically her business changed in just the first week of COVID-19 hitting Canada, what has changed for them since, the roller coaster of emotions that entrepreneurs are going through, and one of the most important elements of their business that entrepreneurs can focus on, and how to help manage stress during these turbulent times. It is such a phenomenal interview. I know that I, as an entrepreneur, learned so much in talking to Hannah, and it was uh, very reassuring and, and inspiring. So I got a lot out of it, and I know that you will as well. So the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. With Pod Power, ATB is making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. So this episode, we are giving a Pod Power shout out to A Tale of Two Weeklies. A Tale of Two Weeklies is a documentary podcast series that digs into the rise and fall of Edmonton's C Magazine and View Weekly, which were two sort of alt-weeklies engaged in a newspaper war that neither survived. So you can find A Tale of Two Weeklies wherever pods are cast or visit taleoftwoweeklies.com. And I'm pretty sure View Weekly was in Calgary as well. And, and you know, you'll see a lot of you'll see that there is a lack of some of these alternative weekly papers these days. So I'm sure that this is pretty similar in Calgary. I think it'll be a fascinating uh, listen. So check them out at taleoftwoweeklies.com. Now, this particular episode of Girl Tries Life is also brought to you by Back to School Again, a podcast about midlife learners. So their next season appropriately dives into the power of online learning. So let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram. I'm working on a special three-part mini-series of the Back to School Again podcast in partnership with Athabasca University, which highlights the power of online learning. We'll talk about how the internet has transformed education, the role of micro-learning and micro-credentialing, and an exciting new offering called PowerEd. I've just completed the PowerEd course, Machine Learning for Competitive Advantage, and I'll share some of the cool things I've learned about how artificial intelligence is shaping our world and how to apply machine learning to solve business problems. The series launches in April, but you can subscribe now at backtoschoolagain.ca. Hope you'll join us. You can find Back to School Again on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at backtoschoolagain.ca. That's backtoschoolagain.ca. So without further ado, let's head into the interview with Hannah. Well, thank you so much, for Hannah, for being a return guest to the podcast. I'm so pleased to have you. I'm so happy to be back. You know how much I, I love what you do. And so this is a great honor for me. 
Well, it's funny because it's so it's such a different uh, take this time because the first time I had you on the podcast, I'd never met you before. I just heard these incredible things about you in the community. Mm. And so I've I've since been able to work with you through ATBX and you're such an incredible yeah. mentor. And uh, mm. But we're here to talk about entrepreneurs and COVID. <laughs> yeah. Which feels like an intense topic to discuss. <laughs> Yeah, it's really intense and complicated and multi-layered depending on people's situations. And there's just so much unknown. And yeah. I think that's actually the hardest part. I could make a lot of assumptions and predictions, but we true we truly just don't know. Yeah. Well, and I, I would speak about this with my clients all the time is like, we have no idea how long this is going to last. We have no idea to what intensity self-isolation is going to look like and the economic impacts and, and country to country, everyone's economy is so different. So whole lot of unknowns in the air. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And then looking at like today, Ontario is coming out and saying, you know, they look like they're at the peak and, and they've pretty much overestimated how bad it will be. But the thing is, is like, we're going to go through waves, I believe. We'll have a second wave of this. And so like, this, is, this isn't just going away, even if we hit a peak. If we don't actually do this properly or in the way that we imagine, we're just going to be going through these waves of isolation. Yeah. And the the huge impact that that has on businesses. So I'm hoping I, um, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. You did this incredible video where you shared what has happened to your business, Common Good. Um, yeah. I'm hoping you give us a little uh, bit of a sense of that and where you're at now. Five weeks is a long time, a lot of change. Yeah, I mean, in COVID, one day is a long time. Uh, so, you know, we were probably one of the first to be hit. And because, so Common Good... Our, our essential business model is that we do commercial laundry for restaurants and spas and we wash all of their linens, chef jackets, napkins, um, all of those pieces. And, but we do that um, and we use that model to employ people that have been faced with incredible trauma through homelessness and poverty. And so we also have really high risk um, employees through this time too. Right. And so within Literally the first day, like March 15th was my birthday too. So this is all really crazy of how this happened. But um, even to wind back a little bit is I was at the CEO Global Conference a week before. There wasn't even one diagnosed case in Alberta yet. And then it happened on that Friday. There was the first diagnosed case. And, and I was at this amazing conference with thousands of women talking about this new vision that we had with Common Good because we knew that we needed to actually get deeper into solving the core of the problem and for people in poverty and homelessness, that's trauma for all of us, us actually, the core issue is trauma. And trauma is like sexual abuse, emotional, physical, uh, someone dies, but you don't actually move through it, right? And it holds on. And then all of these other issues like health issues and so on come from that. And so we were in the process of, uh, of dreaming again and partnering with a nonprofit and we're doing all these cool things at CEO. And then I come back home, even met the prime minister. I got to talk with him, share the story. Like it was just this insane time. And then we came home and within three days we had lost 75% of our clientele. And then by the first week we were at 95% loss and all the restaurants are closed down. Um, if they do delivery, they don't really need our services that much. And it was devastating, like just devastating. We thought overnight to watch your business kind of just go 
without any control. Like you have zero control over this. And also talking to other business owners, like these are local restaurants and they are crying and we're crying and on the phone going, we just don't know. And so it was just this process of us going through it. And uh, it showed a couple things for me, which is a mentorship and having incredible advisors. And, and we have a board, like we're for profit, but we've had a board and like we call an emergency board meeting. And I'll tell you, the board members were like asking us questions of like, okay, what are your assets? What do we do well? Um, and, and like, what is happening in the market right now? What are we seeing in other countries? Delivery is a big thing that needs to happen during COVID. And so starting to look at like the customers, the landscape, and how can you use your assets? But also there's one thing that I had to get really clear on is that common good is not a linen business. Like that's what we do in our business model, but that is not our core. Our core is to employ people and help people who are facing incredible trauma through homelessness and poverty. And so it's like, what does, if that's our core, what do we do during this time? And so there was like crazy things that happened. I even got an interview with Oprah's magazine. They saw the video, like there was like ups and downs and all over the place. And, and I don't think I've stopped crying every day for five weeks through this either. Um, like most people. And, you know, we're able to kind of redeploy our trucks to help um, with some of the food insecurities that are happening in Calgary. And uh, we've been able to do that, but none of that actually generates revenue. So I want to be really clear, like we looked at what can we do during this time? You know, we were waiting for the government to come out with like some government relief and we're still waiting on that. Like every day there's new announcements. And uh, a one big thing that happened was another Shio Venture, A-Linker, which is this incredible bike for people that have any kind of disabilities, B is an amazing person, just was like, okay, we're going to pay your payroll for the month and l l give you time to figure out where the government subsidies are, what you're going to do with your model. I mean, like paid our payroll. So everyone needs to check out A-Linker and then sent a bike to us too. Um, my husband has mobility challenges also and like sent us a bike um, so we can get out and, and do those pieces. And so, I don't know, it was just this great, it's still a crazy time, um, but that's kind of where we're at. And right now we're not, we're not doing laundry operations essentially because our customers are closed down. So it's interesting what you're saying there about like, what is it we actually do? What's at the core of us? Because I think so many people, myself included through throughout this, have gotten caught up in the, this is the what I do, right? Like I'm like, I do public speaking. This is what I do. And I can't really do that in the same way right now. And then if you actually go back to the core, like you're saying, there are different ways to do it. it but it, it does feel like such a radical shift and an uncomfortable place in what's already an uncomfortable situation. So how do you like dig deep into that discomfort when there's already so much stress? I think number one, you've got to get back to the core. Why did you start what you started? What's the actual meaning behind what you're doing? Um, and it may not because your business model may never look the same, right? You may have to find a new business model, but that's why it's so important to get back to the core of what you're doing. Um, but I also want to be really clear the entrepreneur's job has not changed through this. We are creators. We are innovators. We uh, look at problems and we're like, how do we solve this? How do we use our skills and abilities to be of service to our community? And so like 
our innate skills have not changed through this. And getting back to that and to the core of, of why you did what you did, there may be other business models. Entrepreneurs like do a whole bunch of different businesses in their lifetime. And like my, uh, you know, I've failed my first business. I'm, you know, common good on essentially on the core of the business model is also failed through COVID. But there's also another piece like, oh my gosh, we get to talk to other entrepreneurs and we're all going through the same thing and we can all relate and we can all support each other and we can actually for the first time talk about failure in a way that I believe has never been spoken about before. And it's, what do you say to people though who are, who are at that rock bottom and feeling that failure and feeling like they can't get back up? I think we need to be easier on ourselves. First, we need to pause. There's an incredible opportunity here. And I talk to all different types of entrepreneurs, the ones that are actually doing well through COVID, because there are some that their business models will do well. They actually feel really guilty because they're doing well while their friends are not. And like that also isn't okay, right? We should be, I, I said to one entrepreneur, oh my gosh, you should be so grateful and so happy that you need to employ two more people in our community that would be laid off. Mm-hmm. Like what a gift that is. And maybe you hire another entrepreneur whose business has gone down. And so, but I also think we need to pause. There is an opportunity to like, look at the government subsidies, look at what you can do, but like take a minute. And for me, I've gone on ebbs and flows in the last five weeks is that in the morning of really getting up, spending time on my own, um, doing what I am, uh, what I love, which is writing, or s- sitting in my hammock and literally doing nothing, or listening to a podcast, like, like getting back into your own self, because we can't make decisions. Also, I don't think we can make really clear decisions when we feel so stressed out, right? So a lot of it is like taking a minute, because this is so unknown. Um, for some people, it's like, do you have to be out there and doing all the things right now? Right? Can you just actually regroup and look at these pieces? But it, it, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it, it is like get back to like what you love, what you're great at, and what are your greatest skills. For me, I've actually learned that advocacy is huge, and I and I knew like I would speak and I do all these things before, but I somehow got roped into doing daily Fed calls <laughs> of where I'm sharing stories of entrepreneurs of saying this is why this. Um, this new (laughs) package doesn't work. Here's some examples of local entrepreneurs where this doesn't help them. And, and I've had all these doors open where I've been able to advocate for entrepreneurs and for our own employees of saying, Hey, wait, and sharing those stories. And so for me, I was like, for better or for worse, when I open my mouth, people listen, either good or bad. So like, how do I actually use that for good during this time? So like, what are you great at? And what are people like? Yes key into that but first you got to take a minute yeah it's and I think that's hard because so many of us in in any kind of state of panic right there's that gut reaction of like do something anything's better than nothing kind of thing and so I and it definitely happened for me as well throughout this I was like okay I'll try and do this instead and then quickly realizing oh no okay take a minute chill out, um, which is very difficult to do. And it, not sure where all our listeners are coming from. And the fact that this it's being recorded on April 22nd, and it's probably going to go live in a couple of weeks. So who knows what's going to have changed with government yeah. supports. But until last week, I didn't qualify for anything. Right. And I had faith that government supports were going to come through, possibly just 
who I am. Um, but, and I know a lot of people don't, but the supports that were, like you were saying, that were coming up before, I was like, I don't want to take out a $40,000 loan. Yeah. That's not no. helpful for me. That sounds yeah. worse than what I'm in right now. It sounds like more debt because it is. Yeah. 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 And I, I don't believe, you know, I, we are actually, Canada is actually behind. If you look at other places like Australia and New Zealand, New Zealand, I can't speak high enough about the prime minister there, a woman, of yeah. course. And, and actually, if you look at some of the women leaders across the world, they're the ones um, that are, are really responsive and thoughtful. You know, New Zealand businesses had money in their account within three days of them shutting down. Um, you know, so all of those pieces, I think there's a lot of work to be done still in Canada. Um, we aren't totally getting it right, but what I will say, they are listening. Like I, there are, there are ways for us to get that information to the government and we do have democratic ways to do that. People need to actually do that. Save smallbusiness.ca, get involved in like one week. Now they're five weeks and they have over 35,000 businesses and they are just constantly saying, give us your information. Like, are you going to close down? What's happening? happening with rent and they feed all of that back. And that's actually being led by one of the Shio Ventures Discourse Media. She started that uh, with a couple other people and they have been one of the reasons why everything has like when they come out with a new package and everyone's like, ah, oh, we just keep feeding information to them. But I think there's one thing there's actually a process that was shared with me with another Shio Venture um, go-go events and uh I love this. It was shared on our call. And this is kind of like a process for people to go through during this piece. And uh, it's a couple different steps, but I'll share it. It's first of all, you got to acknowledge the struggle, like just acknowledge where you're at and, and, and get clear on it, write it down, all the stuff that sucks. And then it's like accepting the situation. Like this isn't changing. This is where we're at. And then it's gifting it out to be transformed. Like literally gifting it out. If you're going to burn it in a fire or rip it up or like write all that stuff down, accept it and then gift it out and, and tr to be transformed though. And that means that's not you doing it. It's you, you just going, it is what it is. I don't have all the answers to that. And then to spend some time just listening and observing of, of what happens when you release all of that. And then you can decide what to do. And that's a process that you could go through a lot yeah. <laughs> over days and, and do it again and again as things come up. But there is a part there where you get to decide what to do, even if that decision, like for myself, I'm like, I'm taking a week where I'm doing nothing. And I am scheduling that in. I'm getting all prepped for that in May where I'm just like, I've gone through all of that. And one of my decisions was I need to just decompress and get more in alignment because I want to change the world like everybody. I, I'm involved in systems change work and it's really, really difficult. But I can't do that unless I have spent the time to make sure that I am also in the change that I want to see. And so those steps of acknowledging, accepting, gifting it out, listening deeply, and then deciding what to do in that moment. And that may change a week later. Um, I found that process really helpful for myself. It's, it strikes me as a very empowering process, right? Not that knee-jerk reaction that almost feels like you're beholden to what's happening, but getting in the driver's seat of it. And um, entrepreneurs, I would say, have a higher rate of burnout 
generally. Uh, yes. And so add on the family pressure, the financial pressure at home, if you've got kids or anything like that, like all the, th- or if you're sick as well, all the things, we are in this really high pressure environment where burnout's even more likely. So I think what you're saying of scheduling in that time to do nothing is so important because I, I have a lot of people saying to me, like, I struggled to turn off anyways as an entrepreneur. And now it's 10 times harder because uh, I feel like I'm going to miss something or miss an opportunity or whatnot. Um, giving ourselves the permission mm. to step back a day, two days, whatnot. So, so important. Yeah. And like, let us not forget the firm. We are all in this together. Like if your business failed before COVID, there was no rent relief. There was no, well, there's not rent relief yet either, but there was no, there was no government support. There's no deferrals on your loan. There's no, like all of this deferral packages and everything that's happening. So like, you also have to understand how to ask for things. So making that call to your bank and saying, this is what I need to get those deferrals, right? To making that call to your lease, to the insurance, to like all of those pieces, there's an ask there that we're also not, I think everyone, it's not just entrepreneurs or women. It's like getting really specific on the ask and what you need to get through. But the beauty of this is like everyone needs something and and so you do have to ask to get it though, right? You've got to make those calls. And so, you know, if my business would have went down three months ago, it would have been a whole different situation of people like coming at you and trying to like, you know, seize your assets and all of that. Where right now we actually have a moment of deferral where I know a lot of people want to make some decisions on their business, but you just can't yet. Mm-hmm. So take advantage in a great way of the things that are at least in front of us to defer that, to give us some time to look at that. And and then you'll see from there. But like right now in the ecosystem, it's really clear. Like if you're running your business, we, people haven't really been talking about this in my opinion, but we are absolutely in this war mode. So it reminds me of my grandmother when she's World War II. And it's like factories were absolutely flipped to whatever the government needed for supply, right? Men were off to war, women were working, you know, like there was all this and like our frontline staff and everyone that's frontline are primarily, a lot of them are women. They're leading this, right? Because they were naturally in those roles to begin with. And so uh, I've seen an entrepreneur where they do make stuff, they do make um, things that are actually in the stores and in the grocery stores. So they're doing really well, but their local supplier, they do local, went, sorry, we're not producing anymore. We're only going to do hand sanitizer, Mm -hmm. right? Because anyone, because this is what the government needs, or we're only going to do ventilators, or we're only, right? And so we're in this really interesting piece where you do have to look at your customers, but also look at the ecosystem and see if your model can help out in this time. And there's some people that just can't. Like people naturally come to Common Good and go, you need to be doing all the laundry for the hospitals. And I'm like, yeah, it's a great idea, except that there's a few things. You have to be certified. There's a certification, the cleanliness of it, like all of those pieces that we definitely don't have. Lots of money to get certified wouldn't be happening in that time frame. But also, we, have vul- we work with a vulnerable population that's already at high risk for COVID. Taking all the hospital linens is not something that I'd ever put anyone at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's things that are in that. So like we've had to make those hard decisions where we're like, no, we can't 
necessarily be of service in those ways. We can use our trucks for food delivery. There is still a huge amount of food waste happening at the distributor level and they have nowhere to put it. So, you know, I think it's like you need to look at your customers and what's happening during this time and see if you can be of service and if this is something. And then, but if you can't, um, I'm a big believer, like take some time too. like take some time. Uh, this is a good opportunity to do a lot of goodwill in the community for sure and helping out where it's needed. But like ensure it's meaningful and it works with your skill set and what you're good at or else you're just going to burn out again. Yeah. So I, I was listening to a podcast the other day, the Amy Porterfield uh, Online Marketing Made Easy podcast, and she was talking about answering the question of people saying, I don't know whether I should be selling right now, if I should be deeply <laughs> discounting or any of those things. And her take, uh, which I'd love your opinion on, was one, that we have a moral imperative to be selling if we can right now because it helps get the economy going. I'll get your take on that one first. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're in a hard spot though. Like we're also forgetting a whole bunch of people have been laid off. And so like family household incomes could be split in half, if not more than that. And so people aren't buying like they used to. Now on the flip side of that, because we're not going out, we're not doing entertainment, we're not eating at all these restaurants there. Th some people are finding that, Oh, they, they can go and like, do delivery from the local restaurant or buy a local t-shirt that is 80 bucks, but they could have got it for 20 from some big conglomerate, right? Like there is a, there's this weird movement that's happening. Um, so I think that people are forgetting that like, also there's so many layoffs, right? So like, I still go back to who is your customer? It, do they even need that product or service right now? Right? Like, is this something that is of need during this time? Um, because there's the flip side of like, if it's not of needed and you're actually getting backlash for selling, it's because people don't need it right now yeah. and it's just not the time. So I, I would be like, you need to look at those things. Um, I always think pricing is a difficult one, uh, especially now during this time. Like anyone who's going to price gouge is definitely going to, they're going to see it. But price gouge on like necessities and essential items, I think you're going to see, you, we've already seen that. Yeah. Like the people that buy $10,000 worth of toilet paper and try and sell it off of, you know, Amazon or eBay or whatever that is. So yeah, yeah I don't think there's an easy answer to it except for, you really should be looking at the market, who your customer is. Is there a need for your product or service? Um, and, and determining who your customer is, like, honestly, if they're rich, they still have money. Yeah. Like there are people who still have a lot of money out there. And so like tailoring it to where you need and where you should be selling. And that's still entrepreneurship 101 in my mind. Yeah. Who is your customer? Like we, we are also going to be faced with a whole bunch of entrepreneurs that will have their business have failed because of COVID and they're going to start again, like a restart. Right. And so we're going back to the same old business fundamentals of who is your customer? Um, what is your pricing and how do you move through this? Yeah. Like your job as an entrepreneur hasn't changed. Yeah. So how do you feel then about um, discounting? Because her take was like, don't be discounting. It undervalues what you do. And I do remember in ATBX, like you and I had a conversation, like it was in my note to myself for three months later, <laughs> don't discount. And yet yeah. I have found myself discounting. discounting. 
And because yeah. so I created a group coaching program specifically for how to re-envision 2020, that 2020 is not a write-off. We can still find meaning and value in it. And when I was looking at the pricing, I was like, I had to put myself in my own shoes. My husband lost his job. He's in events. My income has dropped dramatically. And I was like, what yep. could what could I afford right now? And then on the flip side, what as an entrepreneur am I makes it worthwhile for me to show up in a meaningful way, but that's still dramatically a discount to what I would normally charge. Yeah. Before COVID, you already know what my answer is, right? It's like we teach people how to treat us. And so if our value is low, um, we're already saying a whole bunch to the market, right, out there. I think now, though, value is looked at differently during COVID. If you are providing discounts or you're providing services to people that can't access them and all of these people, it's actually a switch, though, a mindset of, I don't look at it as discounting. I look at it as, this is what I'm willing to do during COVID times because we're all in this together. And so there's a goodwill value proposition there um, that maybe I think we're, we're missing. Yeah. So that this is the goodwill of how you're willing to show up with your skills, your abilities and what you're good at, which is like, holy cow, you are positioned and stress less <laughs> of like how to move through this. But on the flip side, you also can't provide any of those services and lose money, right? Yeah. So you still have to balance that. But that doesn't mean that after COVID, this is what you charge going forward either. But we are going to be in a different economy. People are going to have huge job loss. And we were facing this beforehand with everyone talked about like AI and, you know, all the tech that's coming in, there's going to be job loss. COVID just sped this up. Yeah. It sped it up because people will now look at, I think there's a lot of questions. We will forever look at brick and mortar companies. Like, do we really need brick and mortar? We'll forever question that. Uh, Our cities will change because of that and how they look. Um, So there's like so many things we have to consider moving forward. But yeah, that value one is a hard one. I, I still think you have to know who your customer is. If you're selling to people that have money, that's a whole different other piece than here's what I'm willing to do. Um, yeah, that value piece is still the same thing for me. Is is this is looking at it in my opinion in in from a goodwill point point of view. Yeah. Right. Just like this is what I'm willing to do, but you still have to be able to do it and and like, you know, there's no point of you showing up and then so discounted that it's not worth your time because even energetically that doesn't work. Yeah. Right. You're gonna feel like this wasn't worth it and so on. But the opportunity is how can you reach more people maybe for less money? right? Like, can you do this on a more mass scale, um, reaching people online, doing it in different, more interactive ways? There's so many ways that you can do this. But yeah, pre-COVID, I was like, people come to you for the same reason that they'll leave you. So if they come to you because you're the cheapest price, they're going to leave you because they find a cheaper price. Yeah. So there's that value conversation in there. That still kind of holds true. But I do believe that when we're going through such a hard, difficult time like COVID, Uh, There is this goodwill pricing and this value proposition of here's my greatest skills. Here's my core of my business. This is how I can show up. And people will be like, holy cow, that's amazing. This is what I want to do. I want to be a part of that and I want to support you. Yeah. I actually have my mastermind tonight with mostly gals from ATBX. Uh, Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a... Yeah. So, so that's an example. She's exactly what you're saying. She's like, we're doing better than ever. And she's like, and I feel so bad about it. Um, yep. about hiring people and discounting some of their products for that 
people need more of and that kind of thing. So it's, it's been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's like some models that are doing, I mean, really if, and this whole shop local movement is kind of interesting to me because you're still walking into superstore. Yeah. Like the majority of money spent is really on food right now. Like for, you know, day-to-day people, you're still fucking walking into superstore. And I'm saying this, like our family walks into superstore. Okay. Like flat out. Yeah. But you're still walking into superstore and most of their products aren't local. So let's not be under any illusions here about the shop local movement. If you really want to do it, then shop local actually takes way more time and energy, which we, some of us have now. I also want to be really clear. Like there are frontline workers and people that are working 24 seven. I've been working 24 seven. Um, that don't have the time for this, but shop local actually takes a lot of time and dedication because you have to order from a lot of different stores Yeah, and like the farmer's markets. And it's like, if you're truly going to shop local and do this movement, it takes time and energy to do that. Yeah. Um, and you need to be going to the farmer's markets and all these local different distributors. I think there's a huge opportunity for them uh, to, actually figure out a system in which it makes it easier on people to go way local so that you yeah. can disrupt what's happening at the superstore Safeway Sobeys level. Yeah. Um, like that actually is a bigger issue because everyone's like shop local, shop local. It's like, yeah, but you're still going to superstore. Like yeah. if, if a local product's in there, we, we always, but I, I know that intrinsically, like because of X, yeah. I know the peanut butter and I know that like, I know who actually is local, but most people don't. Yeah. And they it's, don't. yeah. And it's such a challenge, like, and also the cost of shopping local as well. Right. Like if, I mean, I had to like the feeling every time I saw that was like, that is amazing, but our income has dramatically dropped and we have to be like the tightest we've ever been. And on the flip yeah, side, yeah. I have a lot of service-based businesses where it's like, well, yes, shop local, but that's products like people mm-hmm. mean products for the most part or food services. And so the rest of us, it feels like, am I being a jackass for selling right now or all that kind of stuff? Like, and I see it as well, right? Like a, a, a an ad for like Swarovski crystal earrings showed up in my Instagram page, like $400 earrings. And I was like, this feels tone deaf. And at the same time, I'm like, <laughs> in my head of like, but they need to pay their staff and make money. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's actually an interesting piece. They need to make money and do stuff. I mean, I would venture to say the big companies like them, they actually need to stop and they can afford to stop. And if they can't, they've never built their business well anyway. I mean, you've seen it in the US, like the US goes and puts out all this money for businesses and then all the big companies go and take the money yeah. and none of the small ones get it. And it's like, now the big companies are starting to give back the money because of the social pressure that happened. Yeah. Like one one big restaurant gave it back, the chain. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, they still all need to pay. But I was like, I don't know. I'm forgetting which company it was. There's a bigger discussion to be had about big companies right now. And for me, I am questioning the executives and the CEOs. If you are laying off all your staff first before your top line executives and CEOs have taken a significant pay cut. I'm not talking about 10%. I'm talking about the level they say is about 80 grand of of happiness. Like where people, if they just made 80 grand... That's the kind of happiness. If they make anything over that, they're actually, they don't get happier. They usually get more depressed. It's very interesting on the, on the, on those pieces. And so let's say big CEOs all take and the executives take, you know, go down to 80 grand and don't take any bonuses this year and don't hide it out in dividends and all of those pieces. How many employees can still stay employed? 
And so the strategies, strategies around that really need to be looked at. I think there should be public pressure on that. I forget which company, but I'm pretty sure it was Columbia in the US where the CEO went down to $10,000 for that year for this year. Now, I don't know if he's not going to take bonuses or not. And and that always is like the key one where a lot of people will hide the money. But it's like, you can't get, in my opinion, as a big company, you should not be available for any wage subsidy, for any loan, for anything, unless you have taken a huge chop off of your executive line and done the proper layoffs, um, even on your executive line. Or, and then if you rearrange that money, then can you actually keep everyone employed? Like there's other strategies than just wage subsidy for big companies. Well, I know, I mean, I used to work in oil and gas and I know a lot of people that are still at that company and obviously they're in the double downturn of price of oil and COVID, but you know, price of oil was like minus $40 yesterday. I didn't think you could do negative pricing. I didn't think that was humanly possible. (laughs) Neither did I. But, um, you know, they're talking again about major layoffs and I went through that with them a few years ago and I was just thinking like, they're, I know what they get paid because I know what I used to get paid. And so it's like, why is there not a conversation of, like you're saying, bringing everyone down to 80 grand? I'm sure more people would appreciate a job and an income than not. But that just seems to never be a go-to strategy. And I don't understand it. But this is that goodwill conversation. If I actually saw executives um, take a huge cut and be like, hey, we're taking this big cup, we're keeping everyone employed, um, and this is what it looks like. Like, actually having strategies like that um, is is what we should be doing. If we're all truly in this together, then what does this look like for big companies? Yeah. What or does my this MLA, like? but that's another story. <laughs> oh, yeah. And 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 this, so I've heard of a couple companies in Calgary, you know, they, they, they took 10%, but everyone took 10%, including their lowest paid employees. And I was like, no. No, like that's not goodwill. And they're trying to set that up um, as goodwill. And I was like, no, it's not. You're also asking your lowest paid employees who are like 35 grand a year already, which no one can live off in Calgary, um, to take another 10% and that's a goodwill. I'm like, if every if everything's supposed to be equal, then why don't you go and get paid your lowest paid employee? Yeah. Like if we're really going to talk about equal then you shouldn't be making more. And that disparity between what the top CEOs are paid and what the lowest employee are paid, who the lowest employee, let us not get wrong, is the reason why that company can even freaking work. Yeah. Um, well, the lowest that's paid the stuff. employees are frontline workers in grocery, grocery stores, right? Like And doing deliveries at Amazon and packing all those orders and like doing all of the things and they are not being... So, and, but that disparity was already there before COVID. I don't want to go back to what it was before COVID. Let us be clear. I don't want to go back to that. The inequalities, you know, how people are treated. This, this economy was never built with women, people of color, people of poverty in mind. We were never at that table. And so I don't want to go back to that. I want to go into a place of, what does it look like to build a business model that is actually working on the world's to-do list, which is the UN uh, United Nations sustainable goals, right? Like working on poverty, clean water. What does a business model look like with radical generosity built off of the whole piece of radical generosity and like zero waste from the get-go? 
Not like I build out my company and look, I have all this waste and then I'm going to figure out how to recycle that waste. It's like, no, let's build and design it from the get-go to be sustainable. And that's what I'm more excited about actually moving through COVID is I, I see a huge opportunity to change the way truly we're doing business and we're working on the world's problems. Because before it was all this like, there was a movement that happened that I'm grateful for with uh, CSR and like the customer response, like being the CSR and social enterprise. But now I think we get to dig deeper and be like, whoa, we can no longer have businesses where the CEOs are paid 500% more than their, their frontline workers. And, you know, we can no longer have healthcare systems set up this way and all of this. So there's, there's a movement here, um, but that slowly people are starting to wake up to, but we're also, I think that this whole stress thing is very much put on by systems in the media. They want everyone to feel stressed out because the, in stress, we don't move. We freeze. We don't activate as people. We don't um, advocate to our governments. We don't say this fucking sucks and should be changed because in stress, we freak out and we go in and we freak out. And so I would also be wary of that and that conversation because um, the best question that was, you know, I've watched a lot of people fighting on Facebook and like conspiracy theories and all of this stuff. And my question is, okay, this is all really messed up. So what kind of world do you want to live in? Like, what do you want to live in after this when, what does this look like with the layoffs and all of this? What world do we want to live in? And I don't want to live in the post, the pre-COVID world. And so now I'm becoming really focused on what does that look like after? What is the world I really do want to live in? And, and, and working with people that see that same thing. Yeah. There's my rant. (laughs) Hey friends, I just want to quickly interrupt this interview. Given that we're talking about how you can support local, one of the best ways you can support your local podcasters is to leave them a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. So if you've been a longtime listener of this podcast, but you've never left a rating and review, now is the time. If you are a new listener and you're really enjoying this episode, now is the time. Uh, Honestly, it's a, a way that you can support a local podcast without any financial commitment. It takes two minutes of your time and it means the world to me. So thank you so much. And let's head back into the interview with Hannah. I love that. Well, I'm very conscious of time and I don't want to take up too much more of it. What, where would you suggest, uh, again, everything changes day to day. CEO sounds like a great place and a, a linker you said. Uh, yeah, A-Linker is, well, A-Linker is a, a company and they, they're one of the first CEO um, ones that were pieced. And you can become a CEO activator. So you can um, use your money to go and fund other women-led companies. And they do activation calls. So like every week, the ventures and the activators, and we do an ask-give format. So like, what do I, what's my ask and what can I give? And so there's just this constant piece happening. But what I would suggest to people is like, you need to double down on community. 
This yeah. is actually how we get through. And so what are the organizations or your community or your entrepreneurs? Uh, Work Nicer member circle is like twice a week where we're doing kind of that same format of helping out and, and talking to one another. So I think this peer-to-peer -peer piece, because we all can chat with each other. We know what we're going through. And everyone has little pieces to this answer. It's not, just, it's not just holding with one person. It's all these different people. And the more people you speak to, um, also, I can look at someone else's business and get really, be like, oh, that's so cool. You should do this because I can see your greatest gifts when you're feeling down. And you can see mine when I'm feeling down. So that peer-to-peer -peer is so important. They can lift you out of things. So double down on community, whatever that looks like. For me, um, ACE classes have been amazing because Mandy shows up at 8.30 a.m. every week uh, or every day during the week and, and she does a morning mindset. And so I'm like, oh, someone's just, she's just doing it. It's like, here, I'm going to show up. This is, this is what I can do. Um, and then she, you know, work nicer. That's for me. But those are all peer-to-peer -peer entrepreneur communities. Yeah. And so if, if you're an entrepreneur, this is where you should double down. You need to learn how to do the ask and get involved in, into those people and, and support each other. You know, what does that look like? Uh, my final question for you uh, before we wrap up is how are you – what are your go-to strategies for handling stress as an entrepreneur right now? Community is obviously a big one, but uh, taking that time for yourself, anything else that you've not covered? Oh, I think the, the biggest struggle has been that I see a problem and I want to fix it. And definitely you'll see that from the videos that I shared in the first couple of weeks. It's like, here, we're here, and then we're going to do this. And then these last couple of weeks, I've actually just like stopped um, I've just stopped and, and been very uncomfortable <laughs> in yeah. this moment. And so actually my, my pieces have been going on a, like, thank goodness I have a dog and I've been watching a lot of people get like cats and dogs yeah. through this, right. And animals. Um, but every day going for a really meaningful walk with the dog and being outside. Um, but doing what I love, like I have a hammock now indoors and outdoors, uh, because I, I love hammocks. And so just getting it more in tune of what you're good at, uh, you know, like I love kayaking. And so now I'm kind of like, I haven't done that in years. This is an opportunity, great social distancing on a kayak by yourself. And, uh, but there is that permission, you alluded to that, you got to give permission to yourself for that. And I think there's a lot of weird guilt going around of if your business is doing really well, you're feeling guilt that you're doing well. And then if your business isn't doing well, you're feeling guilt that you're not doing enough. Yeah. And like, if we're all truly in this together, uh, and then the other thing is like, actually go do some nice things for other people. And, you know, you can volunteer, but I, like I, I have, my immune system is compromised. I can't be around, I can't be volunteering. I can't be delivering all that food. We can use the trucks and have people do it. Uh, so I have to be indoors pretty much this whole time. And so, but I can order online, like, um, some macaroons from Olia and from Pinnovate and I can ship them to different people's doors and, and surprise them that way. Um, I can write notes to people in senior homes and send them that way. I can, you know, like actually getting out of yourself and just being like, Hey, is there some nice thing that I can do for my neighbor of like leaving flowers on their piece or, you know, just random acts that no one even maybe will ever know about, but just you. I think uh, is what gets us through these times. 
I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and taking time out of your day. We really appreciate it. That was amazing. Thank you.